Section 6 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truth of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truth of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis D. Segur. The Enigma of Life There is a very strange thing in this world, or rather the world itself is a very strange thing. On the one hand, we are certain, absolutely certain, that God is infinitely good, infinitely wise, and infinitely powerful. It is no less certain that it is He who created the world, that without Him nothing exists, and that in His infinite goodness, he destines all creatures to be happy. How is it, then, that there is so much misery in life? Whence come so many griefs, so many disappointments, so much suffering of body and soul? How is it possible to explain, without reflecting on the sovereign goodness and wisdom of the Creator, the destruction, pestilence, and disease which ravage our provinces, the inundations which desolate country and town, the storms and tempests which bring ruin to so many homes. And, more than all, how can we explain that terrible and inevitable phenomenon which we call death, and which is so repugnant to the deepest instincts of our nature, that the best and holiest of men tremble at its approach, although they know that it opens to them the gates of a blessed eternity? Such is the enigma of which the Christian faith alone can give the solution. It teaches us that God is infinite goodness, eternal life, and perfect order. Nothing evil, nothing disordered, can be the work of His hands. He has not made death, as He Himself declares in the Holy Scriptures. Life cannot engender death. But from the beginning of the world, a twofold revolt, in heaven and on earth, has destroyed the order established by God in all things. And this revolt, which we call sin, is the only cause of the evils which afflict us. This fatal rebellion, begun in heaven, continues upon earth. The most powerful of God's angels, the highest in the heavenly habitations, Lucifer or Satan, refused to render the adoration which God required, and was joined in his rebellion by a number of the heavenly host. They were all cast down from heaven, and on the earth Satan tempts the fidelity of man, and seeks to associate him in his own revolt and in his own damnation. Adam, our first parent, was indeed created in innocence and happiness, the faithful angels were ever with him in his earthly paradise and guarded him incessantly from the fatal influences of Satan. But notwithstanding this aid, and in the midst of this happiness, Adam remained free to correspond to the love of God, or, on the contrary, to turn away from him. He succumbed to temptation, transgressed the simple commandment which God had given him, and, by this adhesion to the disobedience of the devil, made his submission to Satan 
not only for himself, but for all the human race which should hereafter spring from him. Hence all our sorrows, and hence all the evils of life. Thou shalt die, God said to him. Cursed is the earth to thy work. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herbs of the earth. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return to the earth, out of which thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and into dust thou shalt return. Such is the penalty of sin. Such is the sentence of divine justice. Such is the secret of the sufferings and woes of humanity. We have been delivered into the power of the devil who afflicts us, and we should have no heritage but despair, if the mercy of God, which is infinite as his justice, had not given us a Savior. This Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, who by his incarnation in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary has taken our nature upon him and has loved us so much that he has offered himself to the justice of his Father as the one holy and all-sufficient victim for the rebellion of men. He suffered and died for us and merited by the sacrifice of the cross the pardon of our sins. He has opened to us once more the heaven from which we were excluded and has instituted upon earth a church and sacraments by means of which it is easy for every man to be reconciled to God and live a holy life. Jesus came to restore to us eternal life, but each one of us must gain it for himself by triumphing in his own person over that enemy whom Jesus conquered first. Each one of us, in imitation of his divine Master, must live united to God by obedience and love, and must patiently endure the trials which are so thickly sprinkled over the path of life. And thus the Christian, though subject like other men to bodily suffering, to sickness, and to all the evils which result from the fatal power of the devil upon earth, is lifted by his union with Jesus Christ far out of the reach of his enemy. The terrible darts of Satan, instead of overwhelming the Christian, turn to his glory by giving him day by day new opportunities of conquest. Poverty, suffering, death itself are all transfigured for the disciple of Jesus Christ, and sometimes even the generosity of his love is such that he even welcomes and desires them in order that he may more perfectly resemble his Savior. Such is the solution, too much ignored, alas, in the present day, of all the evils to which we are subject in the journey of life. Happy the faithful Christian, to whom this difficult enigma is revealed, and who, in the midst of trials, has perfect trust in the divine love and fatherly care which watches over all. End of section 6